Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope everybody out there is doing good. And if you are a returning listener or viewer, thank you for returning. And if you're brand new, welcome. Welcome to Amazing People, Amazing Things. So today, I have a conversation with the amazing Dr. Andy Hahn, and he is a licensed clinical psychologist and the founder of Life-Centered Therapy, which is formerly known as Guided Self-Healing. So today's discussion is going to be about stress and anxiety and what we can do really to help relieve some of that stress and anxiety. So before we get started, let me leave you with some information on how and where you can reach out to Dr. Andy Hahn. On LinkedIn, you can find him at Life-Centered Therapy. And his website is also lifecenteredtherapy.com. Well, Mr. Andy Hahn, Andrew, doctor, <laughs> thank yes, you for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Chuck. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, today we're going to have a little discussion, a conversation on something that's super, super important. That's on really anxiety, stress, how to recognize it, and you know, different steps on how to how to deal with it. Uh, but before we really get into that, I was wondering if you could give a, a, a small background as to who you are, uh, your background into the field of stress and anxiety. You're not a guy that's stressed out, are you? Only when I am. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, we can never tell, right? You uh, can tell, no, but we can't I, see there, it. There have been moments in my life when you know I've been significantly depressed and I get very anxious, but most of the time, I'm not that anxious. Um, <laughs> that's when oh. I try to figure out technology like I did today, and uh, then I can get sort of like, oh my goodness, but... My background is I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and um, then a little over 30 years ago, I had an experience, um, I had two experiences. One was this very vivid dream where uh, I was in a very stressful situation. I had a lion that was inside my house that was two stories high and it was growling at me and I thought it was gonna kill me and there was no way to escape. So I was very anxious. And then I heard a voice say, if you can match, just match the emotions of the lion and everything will be okay. So, and it was a good thing because I was gonna get killed. So, and I was very stressed. So I, I said, all right, I'm, I can do that. And I start, it's growling and I start to growl and I start to paw it and I'm faking it. And then in one second, I'm really it. And the second I match its emotions, the dream shifts. And I have this two story line in my backyard sitting on its haunches and like basking in the sun. And I'm saying, this is cool. I have a line in my backyard. So uh, that actually was an anxiety dream and how to deal with anxiety. And then um, that opened, that dream opened me to, to worlds that would take a while to talk about. But um, the end of that was I went and visited a friend who was, who had fallen and hurt herself very badly. And she, um, her ankle was extremely swollen and discolored and she was in really quite excruciating pain but she wanted to take me to 
she had left a very high powered life as the fourth person in the fourth highest person in the UN. She was the head of all NGOs and she just quit and went off on spiritual retreat to a place called the Self-Realization Fellowship in Encinitas, California. And she said, I want to take you around these grounds. And I knew I had to visit her. So she had fallen the day before I got there, but she still wanted to take me to the grounds of the fellowship. So we do this really extraordinary heart chanting service for an hour and a half. And then we're walking around the grounds and we get to these two benches and she's, she's in really, really, really bad pain. She's been leaning on me. She says, you're going to have to carry me out of here. I can't walk another step. So I said, all right. So I help her over onto the bench and then I go all the way around to sit where she could elevate her leg. And the second I sit down, I'm flooded with light. Uh, is the best way I could describe it. I knew it wasn't the sun because I knew the sun was off to the left and I knew this was much more overhead and I could just feel this light inside of me and I said to her, just, you know, your ankle is on my leg. So I just started channeling the light to the ankle. At which point she says, you know, I can read auras, don't you? And I said, because this is 1991 and I didn't know my friend was an Indian mystic. I said, Roshan, I'm a nice Jewish boy from Boston. What do I know from auras? And she says, like... Are you aware that there's light that's coming down through the crown of your head into the center of your chest and out your hands to my ankle? And you also where you sat in this very strange place. It's called the seat of the healer. Nobody much sits there because no one sits there. And I said, well, I can I know what you're saying is true, even though I don't see it the way you're talking about that. All that conversation took like 10, 15 seconds. And I was still channeling this light without touching her. And then I knew I was done. And we looked down and she has no swelling. She has no discoloration. She gets up and she walks out of there with no pain. And I sort of say, we're not in Kansas anymore. And then I wow. spent, uh, yeah, that was a while for me too. So then I spent two years trying to understand what happened to me. And at the end of that time, I took everything I knew and everything I learned and brought it together into a framework for doing healing of anything. And the thing is, of course, everything that you suffer about, right? has anxiety associated with it. So if you are if you're anxious, like, oh my God, I have a paper to do and I can't do it and like I'm gonna die or the lions are gonna eat me, then you're anxious. If you're depressed, you're anxious. If you have, you know, chronic pain or chronic fatigue and you don't know what to do about it, you can be anxious. If you have lousy relationships, you can be anxious. If you're alienated, you can be anxious. So you could say there's a foundation of anxiety and judgmentalism in everything that we suffer about. And then people spend hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars trying to figure out what the hell to do. Pardon my language. but um, And they need answers and they need help. And we have an answer that's a simple answer. And we've seen things that make the story I told you kind of like normal. I've seen things that if you told me I ever would have seen them around horrific anxiety and horrific depression and and physical things that had been unresponsive to treatment that have gone away in an hour. And it's simple to talk about how to do it. Anybody could understand it. And we're getting these results that people just think are truly remarkable. And I mean, mm. it doesn't happen always that way. I can explain why, but we've seen things like major depressions or chronic fatigue or panic attacks and anxiety that have gone with them, literally that people have been working on for years and it goes away in an hour, which is why we call our book, The One Hour Miracle. Um, which was not our choice of title, but that's a different story. So um, how I became an expert in anxiety is I have my own anxiety whenever I'm depressed. And, um, and I've spent 30 years trying to really help people not suffer with it so they can live the life of their souls, so they can be free to really live their life without anxiety, even if it means they have to make choices in life that make them feel uh, 
edgy, right? Because, you know, right. The, the point of the whole thing is to live the life you're supposed to live and to do it, you know, without suffering and free and soul-like. So that's my background. So, all right. Well, before we really get into the one-hour miracle on the, on, about the book and um, about some possible solutions and things, that you touched on it a little bit, but how does one recognize anxiety? I know there's a, a plethora of things you listed, but how does one recognize uh, that stress or that anxiety? Because we, we kind of joked about it earlier. I can't see it on you if you're stressed. And you're like, well, sometimes you can. You can tell. But uh, most times people hide things, but then we don't really realize that we're depressed or that we're stressed or that we have anxiety. Well, uh, that's a mouthful okay. I just said. I, I want to make a difference between stress and anxiety, okay? Because stress, yes, please. Stress, yes. stress is neutral, you could say. And stress can be because you're trying something for the first time, like riding a bicycle, right? And you've never done it before, so you can be stressed out. But that sort of is normal developmental stuff. And then the question, you'll know you're anxious if something keeps you from getting on the bike even though you want to. And then you have judgment about yourself. Anxiety comes with a kind of judgment. It comes with beliefs, like I'm a failure. And it's not just, oh, I'm a failure and I'm a success. It's like there's judgment about I'm a failure. So there's there's a body discomfort that goes with I'm a failure. Or there's, well, there's, or there's judgmentalism about the self. Or there's comparison to other people and say, they could get on the bike, but like, so there's this quality where you can't just be with what is. If you can be with what is, you're not anxious, right? If you can't okay. be with what is, so the simple answer to your question, can you just say yes to whatever is and be with it? And if you can do that, then any anxiety you have will just be normal developmental anxiety. If you're judgmental about it or judgmental about yourself or compare it, you know, if I take if I take the most powerful example, right, that's an exemplar in our time, in our in our world, think about Jesus right before he's crucified, right? Um, and he's screaming at his father and he's saying, why have you, why hast thou forsaken me? And he's screaming, right? And he's anxious. You could say he's anxious, right? He knows what's going to happen to him and he can't handle the situation. He can't take it in stride as an exemplar for us. And by the end, when he's getting crucified, he says he's no longer anxious. He's no longer judgmental. He's not screaming at his father saying, why hast thou abandoned me, right? He's saying, I give my soul unto you. He's at peace. So he's no longer anxious. So you could say okay. anxiety is your re reaction to a situation. And can you just say yes to whatever comes into your life? If you can say yes to it, you're free. And then, of course, there will be things that are new things, and that will create stress. But that's good news and bad news, because with no stress at all, you just sit here like a lump and never do anything. So anything you do that's new can bring you some kind of stress. So that's uh, did that help? It did. It did. And I'm glad you jumped right in and made sure that there was a clarification between the uh, anxiety and uh, like stress and things like that, uh, because I wanted to ask you that, and I kind of just threw it all in together as one. Uh, my other quick question is, you know, you recognize your anxiety through a dream uh, or a dream interpretation, if you will. Uh, is that a common thing where people may have that, uh, where they're not aware, but then they're suddenly aware because of this dream? I would say that's pretty unusual. Um, I would say okay. the way people get aware of anxiety is really the way you get aware of anxiety is a body experience, right? If your heart's pounding fast, you're anxious, right? 
Or if you were saying, I'm not feeling anything, but it's not normal not feeling anything. It's kind of like, if you really checked it out, it's sort of like, I'm numb. That's anxious, right? Even though it doesn't feel anxious. Or like if you feel sick to your stomach when you think about something, you're anxious. So there's always going to be a discomfort that accompanies and is really the same thing as the anxiety, right? So like if a motorcycle backfires and you have suddenly you're on my floor and you're screaming, right? Chances are you're anxious and then you're going to have a discomfort. So if I said, you know, Chuck, what's happening in your body when you're like screaming on my floor? You say, my heart's pounding fast. You're anxious. If you said, oh, it's a good day to be like screaming on your floor and like, then you're not anxious, although then you probably wouldn't be screaming on my floor, right? So the way people know that they're anxious is if they really just check their body, they'll know they're anxious and there'll okay. always be a discomfort that associates with it. And simple solutions, but possibly, uh, does faith play a big role in accepting and overcoming this anxiety or, or does it not? Well, <clears throat> that depends Put you on the spot on that one. <laughs> Actually, you didn't. I would say it's idiosyncratic, right? Okay. If you told me you have no faith, I'm going to say your belief structures are none of my business. So I can only subjectively say it's useful for me to know that there's something larger than myself. But if you came in and said, Andy, a crock of you know what, I'll say, fine. So all you need to do really is to be in a kind of relationship with yourself that has some faith. Even if you don't believe in something larger than your small self, I can help you find a larger self. And if you have faith in that, I don't care whether you call it God or the witness or Jesus, or Buddha, or life, or source, it doesn't matter. You have to find something larger than Chuck. And anybody can do that whether they have faith or not. And I can tell them how to do it. It's really simple. And then they can have faith in that, whatever they want to call it. And that's up to them. I love that because you just led me right into asking you, so what is that simple, can I call it a solution? Yes, you can. You, well, you can call it a resolution for sure, um, which is because it's not something you exactly solve. It's something you resolve it, 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 because it's an ongoing process, yeah. we could say. All right. So here's the simple solution. I'll give it to you in one minute. Anyone can understand it. When there's something you can't take in stride or something you can't handle, right? I don't care what it is. You're going to have anxiety. I guarantee it. So my definition of trauma simply is something that can't be handled and taken in stride. If you can handle it and take it in stride, you won't be traumatized. And if you can't, you will be. That's it. Okay? So I think suffering and anxiety and trauma are all the same thing. So what is healing? It's simple to say. It's just mastering what can't be handled and taken in stride. Now we get to your part about the faith. How do you do it? It's simple. All right. Here's what happens. When you can't handle something, a discomfort is born. It's a living being just like Chuck. It was born in a moment, just like Chuck was born in a moment. It has a story to tell. It has a life. It is a life of its own, and it isn't yours. So let's say, you know, you have that guy I told you about. The motorcycle backfires. He's having a panic attack, right? And I say, okay, let's say it's you, Chuck. And you say, I say, Chuck, what's happening in your body when you're having the panic attack? 
and you scan your body while you're screaming and say, my heart's pounding fast. Then I'm going to say something really weird to you, Chuck, so get ready. I'm going to say, Chuck, you're not having a panic attack. Your little toe is just fine. It isn't you. Someone whose name is heart pounding fast is having a panic attack. But you're not aware of that, so you're unconsciously living out their life. So you're not even in 2023. You're in some other time, in some other place, and you're living out something else. You're not here right now. You're not present. You're somewhere else, and someone else is here. And that person's name is heart pounding fast. Now, here's what you're going to do. Instead of unconsciously acting out an echo of heart pounding fast story, you're going to choose to become heart pounding fast. You're going to bring all your attention there. And it's like you're like an actor. And you're going to like say, okay, I'm in a play. If you're on my floor, you're actually in a play and you're acting it out. Or if you're visual, you'll see images. Or if you're auditory, it'd be like reading a novel or writing a novel that you're really you know, into. But you're the author. You're not the character in the play or the movie or the character in the novel anymore. And the second you do that, you stop unconsciously living out heart-pounding fast story, and you start saying, I'm here with you. I bear witness to you. I'm holding you. I accept you. And I'm just experiencing you. You're not who I am. You're just something being experienced. Now, heart-pounding fast, you're going to share your story, and I now identify, you could say, insofar as I have an identity, only with the one who is the source, the one who's saying, I'm I've created you in a sense, and I'm here with you, and I accept you, and I bear witness to you, but you're not who I am. You're just something being experienced. Now, when that happens, heart pounding fast relaxes. And it says, oh, I've been waiting for someone to just say I'm here with you. And then heart pounding fast will tell its story. And let's say it's, let's make it a simple story. 20 years ago, Chuck's in Afghanistan, bombs are going off near him. Chuck can't take it in stride, okay? Motorcycle backfires. He's living an echo of what happens there. He's trying to master it. He doesn't know that, so he just thinks he's having panic attacks, which is true. He's having panic attacks, but on a whole other level, life is providing him an opportunity to say, you can, you'll finally be able to master this. It's sort of like a student who says, I'll keep, it's like Groundhog's Day. I'll keep doing it until I get it right. But the beauty is, if you could just in one moment choose to become heart-pounding fast, you'll no longer be heart-pounding fast. You'll be the chooser who's bearing witness. And then heart-pounding fast, like, your bombs are going off and I can't stand it! Except you'll no longer be that one. You'll be the one, even if it looks like you're acting out on my floor, you're just now the character in the play, right? And then mm -hmm. something remarkable happens. I'm going to die! I'm going to die! Okay? And at the end of that, if you don't need anything else, you'll say, this is really weird. My heart's feeling normal. And it's because it's gone back into its pure form, which is life. So it's no longer something that's matter, right? Dense energy, you can feel it, heart pounding fast or sick to stomach or whatever. That's matter like e equals mz squared. Who you truly are is E. But when something can't be handled, E slows down to the speed of light squared and becomes a discomfort. And if you think my name is Chuck, you think I'm Chuck, then you're a discomfort. And you actually, if you said, I'm going to notice what happens in my body when I really believe I'm Chuck, as opposed to the one who's experiencing Chuckness, because you're just a dense energy too. You'd say, you are the life what heart pounding fast is to you. So if you could get to the place where all you're doing is saying, something is being experienced, but none of it is who I am. None of it is my identity. There are no nouns. And the second you do that, someone can think they're crucifying you, but they're not. 
because they're crucifying a noun. But you're really a verb. So it looks like they're crucifying you, but they're not. And then I'll tell you something really, really weird. If you do that long enough, Chuck, you'll have no anxiety at all. And then you'll be like the Buddha. You'll be an enlightened being because you'll say there's nothing to be anxious about because I'm not any of those things. I'm just the experiencer, but I'm not the experienced. Okay, that makes sense. Now, how about a situation like this as far as you have anxieties about flying uh-huh. um, or whatever mode of transportation is. Uh, I'll use flying as an example. So you're 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 on takeoff and the plane is shaking and rumbling and you, you're gripping your seat and your heart is pounding. Right. Is this, you know what I'm going to say to you, Chuck? So if you, who's having the anxiety attack, Chuck? It's it's not me. It's heart is pounding, right? You're right. All right. right. So now what you're going to do, Chuck, go ahead. I'll listen to so, you. My thought, my thinking is, can you put yourself or not yourself, but imagine that it is not an airplane that's climbing and it's rumbling, but but you are in a truck. It's not your heart. You're in a truck and you're climbing up a hill and it's just a bumpy road. And then relax yourself that way. Is that similar or no. is that no. okay? You do something a lot better. Okay. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I would do if it were me in that situation. I'd say. Okay. I believe I'm having a panic attack because of flying, okay? But I know it isn't me. It's heart is pounding. My little toe is fine, so I'm going to say the same thing to you. But now you're going to have to be open to all possibilities, Chuck. I'll tell you some weird stories because I work with a lot of people who have that kind of flying anxiety, and it goes away, and I'm going to tell you how. They become it, and then they say, oh, my God, this is so weird. Like, Like, I'm in a plane, and, like, this is really weird. I'm wearing a weird uniform and it's World War One, and like I know it's World War One, and someone's just hit the plane and it's going down and I can't stop it. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I must have died. Okay. So they're living out another person's story. I know that sounds strange. I don't care how you make sense of it, but now, they, now we know what their problem is. Their problem isn't anything about what's happening in 2023 their problem believe it or not whatever you want to make sense of it and i just care if it's useful is that they're in 1917 and they're in an airplane being shot down so of course their anxiety makes sense it doesn't just doesn't make sense if you don't know what sense it makes so i'm going to say if you know that then you say oh it's somebody over a hundred years ago who's been hit in World War One, who is in a plane, who's crashing and is afraid of death. So your real problem then is you're afraid of death. Death. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I'm going to say, here's what happened here, Chuck. You were screaming two seconds ago. The plane's going down. I'm going to die. I must have died, right? So we know what the problem is. You didn't know you died in the story, right? You said, I must have died. You didn't say, oh, my God, I've crashed and my body's going all over the place or something, right? You said, I must have died in that calm voice. So you say, all right, here's what happened, Chuck. You were too afraid of what was going to happen. So you left your body right before you died. And you're living out an echo of that story when you go up in that plane. So it makes total sense. What I want to say to you is everything makes sense. 
if you could be with that pilot and you say, okay, Mr. Pilot, whose name you probably, you might even know their name. I've seen people who actually know the name of the person when they were in World War One, and some of them have even found them historically, believe it or not, which is kind of weird for them if they're Republican accountants, but that's a different story altogether. But I had someone who's exactly in your situation, almost. He didn't die in a plane crash. He died in something else. But um, but I've had people. I've had all kinds of people who died in things like plane crashes, or stagecoaches, or whatever. Um, or you know, it could have been in this lifetime that they've forgotten something of going up the hill in this bumpy car or truck of yours, and then they had an accident and they repressed the whole thing and they play it out in there. You know, plane. So I'd say everything makes sense. You just have to find the person who's making it's making sense to. And then you have to know what to do with it. So if your problem is you you left your body before you died, which people do when they get really scared, you know, when you hear women all the time saying, I was getting beaten up and suddenly I'm watching the thing from above, right? That's called dissociation. Mm -hmm. So same thing happened to this pilot, right? He didn't. He was too scared to let himself crash. So before he dies, he leaves his body, which is a very sane, very good choice at the time, except for one thing. Then his body dies and he's stuck. It's like you leave home. House burns down, you come back, no house. What do you do? You're stuck. No home, right? So then you start over years living out a version of that story. I'll tell you, it's other things too. If you think that you missed something, then you're going to also have OCD, by the way, which you didn't think have anything to do with your panic attacks on the plane because you're going to believe, if I had only paid more attention, I should have paid more attention, but I was distracted. Then you have ADHD too, right? What's my OCD and my ADHD and my fear of planes? And also, you know, I didn't die right away. So like I have this chronic back pain that nobody understands, which was because you didn't die right away, even though you're out of your body, you know, your back broke, but it took you 15 minutes to die. And then you say, I get hit in the back, but my doctors are telling me I shouldn't have back pain, but I still have terrible chronic back pain. And they're saying, makes no sense. And of course, it doesn't make any sense to them because it never occurred to them that you died in a plane crash in 1917. But before you died, you broke your back, right? And right. if you're leading a whole group of men and you weren't paying enough attention and they were all getting shot down too, every time that you'd, you, you know, you'd have a possibility of being a leader, you'd say like, I don't know if I'm a leader, the sky will fall. And you're literally telling me a story. The sky is falling because you're watching all of them die. So you're literally telling me a story, but you're telling me a story of panic about flying, OCD, ADHD, chronic back pain. And every time you want to be a leader, you say, the sky is going to fall. I'm not going to do it. And you know what will happen if it was only because of that one story? All of those things would go away in one minute. And I'll tell you how. I'll say, here's your problem. Your problem is you didn't know you had died. Okay, so that now we're going to tell this nice pilot, we're going to download some information. You died. Now you have to let yourself die. Okay, that's no problem. Here's what you're going to do. You just say to him, I'm sorry, sir, you died. You didn't know you died. You still think you're here, and you're making me miserable, and you're not very happy either. This is a lose-lose proposition. So what we're going to do is just say this to you. Go back into your body right before you die. And this time, let yourself die. And this time, choose after you, right as you're dying this time, choose to leave that body behind. But this time, do it by choice, not out of fear, but out of choice. And if you do that, you'll go out through the crown of your head, and then you'll look up. And typically, people see light. They go to the light, and then they say, my God, I'm like, where's my panic? And you know where their panic went? Back into its pure form, which is energy. And I guarantee you, if that's the only reason they're having panic attacks when they get on planes, believe it or not, They'll get on the plane and they'll say, you know, this is reminding me of a time that I must have, like, had a terrible accident. But, you know, it's really weird. I'm not afraid of planes anymore, dying in a flight. 
I want to make sure that people don't get this mixed up because I think if they listen to it partway through and don't pay attention, they're going to say, oh, he's talking about past life recall. It's not past life recall that you're talking about right I'm now about what at all. You believe it is. If you believe it's past life recall, am I going to tell you it isn't? I absolutely not. If you say it's just a story I made up and it's in my imagination, am I going to tell you it's a story you made up in your imagination? Absolutely. I don't care how you make sense of it. All I care about is, is it useful? If the next time you get on a plane and you say, this is weird, I'm not like anxious anymore. Who cares? Well, it was useful. Yep. Who cares? That's what I said. So, I say, is it useful? It, Boy, this is not even a one-hour miracle. It's a one-minute miracle, well, <laughs> literally. Well, it can be one minute if there's yeah. one story that accounts for everything. But sometimes mm -hmm. there could be one symptom, and it can take many, many sessions just to get to that symptom because it's like an archaeological dig. And that one symptom could be a doorway into like 25 stories. Yeah. yeah. And, that, well, and that's... And there are different kinds That's of stories, too. I mean, you know, because there are stories about growing up, and those stories take a long time. So, you know, it's one thing to get rid of your chronic back pain. It's another thing to get rid of your total fear of, of non-existence. That takes longer. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, when I was saying the one minute, I was just being kind of facetious about that. But yeah, it there is no time. There isn't an average time for anybody. It's whatever time it takes for you. It could be one minute, could be one hour, could be three sessions, whatever it could be what, then. What, whatever it is, you can say every time you choose to become mindful, you could say, and become aware of the one who's having the experience as opposed to identifying with it, you get a little freer and a little closer to being able to live your life in the here and now and really living the life you're, you're called to live. So in that way, it is a one-minute miracle. But... You might need a lot of one-minute miracles if yeah. you get to the end of the road. I was <laughs> right. <laughs> that is actually a perfect way of putting it to where we'll say layman's terms so everybody can really understand. Now, I just want to also make sure that folks know where they could go to find out more information about you and about your book, The One-Hour Miracle. Um, was it co-authored as well? It's co-authored, and my co-author, whose name is you – know, on the book it's called Joan Becker. Her name is Joni. Um Remarkable. She she and I run our institute together, and Joni is indescribably wise, and an indescribably um, hierarchically brilliant woman, who I feel very lucky to have had a chance to go through that with. Um, so we co-authored it, and um, you know we're partners in crime, so to speak. So, yeah. And it's, of course, available on all uh, bookstores, your Barnes & Noble, your Amazons. Yes. Uh, I hope people and, buy it. It's fun to read. Everyone who reads it says it's shocking. It's like reading like great stories because a, a lot of the book, we, we give you the framework, but most of the stories is people. And we write some of the stories because we want to show some things like, the death story we wanted to say like we want you to know about this but many of the stories are people writing from what it was like for them we asked a lot of people just to write about their first person experiences because they were the experts they were the one who did it from the inside out i was experiencing it from the outside in so you get to these amazing stories and i will tell you the book is really a great read everyone tells us that so it's fun and if you read it and you get it on amazon and you write us a review i will just 
personally love you. And um, so but anyway, you can get a, you can get the book on Amazon. You can get it any place else. You can certainly get it at Barnes and Nobles. If you want to find out about us, we're just lifecenteredtherapy.com. If you want to reach me, I respond to my own emails. And, you know, my you can just get me at Ahan, like Andy Hahn, A-H-A-H-N at lifecenteredtherapy.com. And we, I do this work, but we have trained a lot of people. We've trained over a thousand people and we've certified several of them and we all work remotely. So you can be anywhere in the world and you can work with us because the kind of work we do, we can do at a distance. So, um, people find that hard to believe, but we can. So, and we do all the time. So that's how you get me. This has actually been really fantastic. Um, a lot of information that you've given out here, and let me silence that. A lot of information that you've given out, and like you said, I like the stories. I like the parables. I like the stories. It makes it easier for, for me. I'm sure it makes it easier for folks to understand and to realize that, you know, I, the way I view it, it is I am the story creator, and I, I create that ending, and I can get out of that anxiety level. Yes. The only thing that because we teach people how to do this for themselves. I don't even like doing it for myself. If I could do it with anybody, like if I have a, all you need to do to be a guide of this is, you know, you have to have an open heart and an open mind because like, if you don't believe that it's possible, the story of your, you know, anxiety about being on a plane is that a plane got shot down in 1917. However you make sense of it, if you're not open to that possibility, you won't go anywhere. So it's like you have to be open to everything. And there are a lot of things. I can do a very quick determining where you're, what the real problem is, right? Is the real problem your anxiety about the plane, which it could be, or is the real problem an unfinished death? And that's a little hard for your listeners to figure out on their own. Although if you read our book, we talk about all kinds of different things that it could be that are sort of deeper themes, right? And you have to find out where it originates because everything after that is an echo. It's not going to be as powerful. I work on, you know, your, 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 if I gave you the original example, you know, if I work on loud motorcycle backfires, it won't be as powerful if I can figure out that that's a bomb, you know, 20 years ago. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if that person needs something other than just sharing their story, it's nice to have a lot of keys that can unlock, you know, stuck places. So that's that's the value yeah. added that we bring as opposed to just doing it on your own. But having said that, if you want to do it on your own, I'd say one thing to your audience. Whenever you have a physical discomfort before you take a pain and say, I hate your guts, say, maybe you've come to share something with me, so maybe I should ask you. And whenever you're anxious about something, whatever you're anxious about, find the body sensation and just say, what have you come to share with me about whatever I'm anxious about? And I guarantee you, if all you did was that, you would do better than you would with most therapists who talk about things. Well, there it is, you guys. There's some free information right there and some very useful stuff. Uh, Dr. Andy, Dr. Andrew Hahn, thank you very much for, for, for the help. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much for having me come because, first of all, you're just a joy. I mean, you kind of radiate this, like, enthusiasm and secondly (laughs) you know you gave me an opportunity to share something and all i want i care about one thing like there are a lot of people who are suffering they don't know what the heck to do i really believe i know how to help them in ways that is really like different because i'll tell you nobody much is doing what we're doing as far as i can tell 
our agent said, the reason I want to be your agent when no one knows about you is I've been, I've been in this field of psychology and healing for 50 years. He said, I read one of your chapters. He said, no one's doing this. He said, I know. So, and it's like anyone can learn it and you can do it for yourself. You can do it for your kids. It's amazing. And you, and you can learn how to do it and you can do it for other people. We train people how to do it. And it's like, and then you get free. And what we're saying is if you could be free, you could really live with the life. You wouldn't have to go around saying, I can never get on a plane, so I can't go and talk to people. All this. Yeah. Now, you know, so. Yeah. I'm going to throw in the last thing here for me, at least, is that I know you had mentioned that, you know, folks, you could go out there and you could do this on your own. But you, I still say and I think that you need a roadmap, a guide. And a book such as yours would be that roadmap or guide. If you're not going to talk to... Um, I'll just use doctor as a loose term, doctor or, you know, Dr. Han here, at least get a book to guide you. And the one hour miracle is one of those books. Well, it's an amazing thing. If you read the book, the first story we have is our editor who said, I have to, I have to see if this actually works. And she told the most amazing story, right? And her story was, I'll tell you briefly, it was an amazing story. She was an editor, but she also wanted to write her own stuff, and she wanted to write, write creative books. And every time she sat down to do it, she had terrible anxiety, and she could ghostwrite and edit for other people and do her work. But whenever she wanted to do something that she would bring her joy around her own writing, nothing. So she says, all right, I'm going to do what they say in the book. I'm going to let myself feel that anxiety. Suddenly she gets this horrific headache. Horrific, right? She actually had headaches, and she had never sort of made the association between her chronic headaches and creativity. So she brings all her attention to her headaches. You know what she finds? She's there. She can see herself. She's very visual. She sees herself as this little girl, five years old. She's in first grade. She's writing and she's excited and she's writing her own stuff. And she's like, she sees what she's wearing very vividly. And she's writing. And then suddenly, bam! And she gets hit over the head with two books by her teacher. And the teacher, Mrs. Bothright, says, I told you it's time to stop playing and put your books away and do math. And she remembers thinking to herself, she hadn't thought that. I will never let myself be creative before I finish all my work again. She had not even, weren't even aware of that belief. And then she says, I am not going to let that crabby Mrs. Boatwright win again. Out of here. I'm, I thank you for protecting me from her, but I don't need you any more headaches. Thank you very much. I am so grateful to you. Headaches said, thank you. It was our pleasure. They left and she's not had the problem ever since. That is the first story in our book. She just got it from reading our book. There it is. Story done. <laughs> Once again, Dr. Han, thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Well, thanks for sticking around to the end. And I hope this podcast has been helpful for all of you out there. And I just want to say once again, thank you for returning and listening or watching. And if you're brand new, thank you for listening to this podcast. And if you wouldn't mind, this really helps out. If you leave a comment, if you give a favorable rating, and please share this podcast with all of your friends, because of course it is available wherever podcasts are available to listen to. So once again, thank you. And until next time, make the best of every day. Bye-bye.